The following episode of Fofop is rated MA. It contains alternating hosts, a rotating roster of guests, and mild coarse language. Fofop advises that it is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15, or anyone who came here looking for one of those highbrow NPR-type podcasts. Minors must be accompanied by a parent or guardian. This is John Deeg speaking. Chambo, uh, thank you so much for this uh, late night version of Tofop. Uh, so sorry it's taken me so long to get on. It is 10 to 10 uh, as we're recording to this. I texted you last night, uh, yesterday, last minute, and said, Hey man, can you um, do Fofop? You're like, Sure. I said, Okay, cool. Uh, sometime after 8 p.m. Okay, there are two things, okay, right here. Like, okay, so clearly you're in Byron Bay. A Hemsworth has pulled out, okay, <laughs> for one. And then also, I I remember spending some nights out with you, my friend, and uh, ten to ten was not not late whatsoever. Like we were pretty keen to be out at ten to ten. Yeah, but that was like you're talking twenty years ago. Like I now am so old. Like I the the idea of like just getting to bed. How old are you? <laughs> I'm forty three. I turned forty four this year. But geez, I have gone off a cliff when it comes to endurance, and I don't know if it's having a kid because they just drain or suck all the life from you. But Gemma and I actually had a first date night about two months ago where we got a babysitter for the first time, and we actually got to like go out, yep. and we were so excited mm-hmm. on the way out to dinner. We we're meeting friends. Oh yeah, and you got they've got like a good one. Like I've been here in your pods. Like you got a like a works in childcare. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cause yeah, pe- yeah. Because people always say like it can be a bit. Um, a uh, bit of a challenge the first time you get a babysitter. And I was probably more nervous than Jem. But then when you, because I remember what I was like when I babysat. Did you ever do any babysitting when you were a teenager? I did. I, I, I babysat um, more regularly. Uh, a regular would be a strong word, but like there were a couple of boys who were about seven or eight who lived about two doors down from us. So I'd get called in like on late notice, but but I did spend like probably I would say two or three years doing childcare. So I'd do before oh, care that's and after right. care. You did at a primary school, yeah. I remember yeah. that. So that was hardcore, man. So you were I got, I got, qualified. You know, so did so you got the police check done and everything? Uh yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I had to you know fudge a few things, <laughs> but uh, but um, and I I didn't have a degree or anything like that. Like you didn't need a, a degree to do that. Like it was actually weird when I got hired by the fact that I went for an interview because um, I'd c- I'd come back from like overseas, like doing half a year at uni in, uh, in London. And all so right, I had, like, mate. I can, all right, you're, so you've travelled the world. So big shot. Uh, I mean, yeah, I've been around. I mean, I'm probably the only Australian to ever go to London when they're 19. <laughs> um, but um, I came back to Australia, and I I just needed to kind of to pay off a couple of grand of debt, really. And um, uh, and I did some sports coaching for a bit, uh, which didn't really kind of catch me. And then um, I saw there was a job going at a school called Auburn South in Hawthorne in Melbourne. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'll go for that. But it was kind of weird by the fact that I went for an interview with the principal, Mr. Mack. That's what they called him, Mr. Mack. And even if I saw him today, I'd still call him Mr. Mack. Um, and he said, you know, you seem like a nice guy, you know, I'm happy to hire you. But then I had to go to the boss of the aftercare centre and go, I, I didn't quite know what to do. I'm like, um, 
Mr. Mac seemed to like me, <laughs> but he didn't actually give me the job. <laughs> so I'm trying to work out like, like, do I work here now? But I did that for probably, yeah, two and a half years maybe. So um, hang on a bit. So, so what was the entry level that you were able to do in childcare with zero qualifications? What did they let you just do straight off the bat? It would have been the police check would have been the, the main thing. Yeah. So I, <laughs> I'm a gentleman of a certain age. I don't give my age. But um, um, so, yeah, it was basically you seem like a nice bloke and you have a clear record. <laughs> um come and hang out with children for five hours a day. <laughs> uh, we um, made a short film um, years ago, Gemma and I, that starred uh, a kid, like a 10-year-old. And I remember <laughs> I was trying, I was applying as the producer, I was applying to get my working with children license or whatever it is. And so I was calling all the departments, you have to get this qualification so you can you know, employ a child essentially. And I was going through all this kind of red tape and then the lady said, so what's he getting paid? And I said, oh, no, he's not getting paid. It's a, a short film. Everyone is doing it for free. And she was like, oh, well, if he's not getting paid, you don't have to worry about the qualifications. That's fine. <laughs> it's just like, what? Because, <laughs> you know, there's rules about, you know, kids under 14, they can only work in four-hour blocks. And I remember it was, this, it was this super, like, stressful day where the weather was terrible. And the kid had been sent down with his granddad. And like after four hours, the granddad was like, well, you know, I think he's ready for a bit of a break now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, why don't you just go over there and uh, just get a drink? I'll, uh, we'll be ready in a second. We worked this kid for like 14 hours. So would that have been the, was that the wake, the short film you make? Yeah, yeah. So don't worry, that kid went on to work with Spielberg and Scorsese. And so he's fine. He's doing fine. But my stunning cameo in that, in that film as well. Oh, that's right. You were in it. You were an extra. I was, yeah. So I came down to kind of fill out the crowd and just kind of be a background player. And then I get the call up because, you know, what, what year would that have been? Um, like I was seven, maybe, do you think? I think it was 2008. Okay. I think gotcha. it was the end of 2008. Yeah. Gotcha. So, I mean, I would have been coming off the back of three seasons of Skid House and the Mansion yeah, Comedy well, Channel. Yeah, that's why I we mean, cast you. Nailing it <laughs> with my performances. What, and what was your? Did you did you have a signature character on Skid House, like Aussie Fast Bowler? No, uh, no, no. I can't think of one. No. Well, I'm, which I imagine means I didn't have one. But I remember there was a scene where it was the wake, and it was a highly acclaimed film. Like you went to like a was it like a New York short <laughs> film festival? Tribeca. Yeah. Yeah. Palm, yeah, Palm yeah. Springs. Yeah. That's nothing. Yeah. Nothing to sniff at. Yeah. And um and there was a bit where you got me to, I think console the lead of the film. Was it was it Pippa Black? Would that be right? Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Pippa yeah. Black, I yeah. think it was me and her and your sister Miranda, <laughs> and we right. had to kind yeah. of like tap her on the shoulder and be like, "Are you okay?" Like you know, it's like you would do at a funeral, I suppose, or a wake, and and. And, yeah. <laughs> and she was really getting into it. Like, you know, fair enough, you know, being yeah. a proper actor. And like me standing next to her going like, I think I've got to touch her on the shoulder. I don't know if, that, I don't know if that, that's appropriate. <laughs> and, and then um, was it Angus Sampson? He was like the lead of it. Yeah. And he said to me, yeah. he said to me after that scene, he said, I like the bit where you uh, didn't know what to do. And in my head, I'm like going, because <laughs> I didn't know what to fucking do because <laughs> I can't fucking act. I'm a horrible actor. <laughs> and so, really, I was made for that role. <laughs> I know that scene so well because in the edit, it, we didn't, we couldn't find one take that was kind of usable because a the weather that day was terrible and there was someone mowing his Heaps lawn next door. It's a complete there, yeah. fucking 
clusterfuck. Yeah, and then also like, I was in that shot <laughs> acting, and so yeah. you go, we need to fucking get rid of this whole fucking film. And it actually wasn't you weren't the problem. You did commit. You did sort of put out an awkward. I remember you. She she leans against my sister and starts crying, and you lean out and give her like an awkward sort of pat on the shoulder, and that works beautifully. But the reason every take was ruined because my sister, who Pippa fell into and started sobbing would start laughing each oh time. God. Like oh we, God. we only we only got like we only got three takes at it. because uh, each time Miranda would start cracking up when like Pippa Black from Neighbours <laughs> would like fall into her chest and start bawling. And you would have yeah, been fuck man, that was would you have been shooting on film back then too? Uh no, that was the very early digital. I think we shot on red or even like an Alexa. Yeah, gotcha. well, not an Alexa, it would have been an, an Ari, but um, no, that was the only reason we could afford to make that film was because we shot it digitally. Gemma had just come out of film school and wanted to do something. And so we came up with this idea. Well, it's based on my life. It was based on my experiences at my father's wake, sort of all compressed together. But um, I wrote the script and then we just were going to do it for zero money. We just shot at my brother's house. We we're friends with all the cast who were in it. Um, all the crew Jim had known from film school or had worked with on, on a couple of things. Celia Piccola, of all people, was on set that day. Did you know that? No, I had no idea. I don't think I – th- uh, maybe I met Celia maybe around about that time, but, yeah, probably didn't know her as such, yeah. I keep forgetting, but every time I've seen Celia, like it'll, it'll come up sort of naturally in conversation. I keep going – because I don't remember her – at all on, on the day and that's not because she's not memorable it's because i was like stressed out and producing this yeah, thing and i was you also were, in it were but she was hungry you were yelling at people you go not on my watch i was doing that william friedkin thing where i was just like firing off shotguns and shit to get people <laughs> on edge uh no she was there just as an assistant like i think like a a camera assistant or director's assistant she was just in the crew yeah, wow. but i'm like that's so Fucking crazy to think that she was there and I had not, absolutely no memory of it. I mean, heck, it's a Hall of Fame, isn't it? It's fucking Clawson, Chamberlain, Piccola. Like, it's a who's who of of uh, <laughs> Australian uh, cultural uh, juggernauts. Significance. <laughs> yeah. In that order, too. It's, I, I remember um, Kate McCartney, uh, while we're dropping names, fucking Kate McCartney uh, in <laughs> the first series of The Catering Show. There's a gag in it where um, Kate McLennan is giving her shit about like her failed acting or you know showbiz career, and it starts off by she's going like, "Oh, you know, um, oh, you did Big Bite," and she's like, "Yeah," and she's like, "Charlie Clawson was that? He's on Home and Away, isn't?" She's like, "Yeah," and then it's like, "Oh, and Andrew O'Keefe," and and then and then it the keeps building and building. And it's like, "Oh my god!" And Chris Lilly, isn't he doing great? And Kate's like, "Yeah, well, fuck you." Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Very funny joke. A lot of people sent it to me, but I sent message Kate and I was like. The setup for that joke is I am the lowest totem. I'm the lowest. <laughs> I'm the lowest in the entertainment ladder because you start with me, then you build to O'Keefe, and then you finish on Chris Lilly. The implication being that I'm the entry level celebrity. <laughs> no, but you're a Saints ambassador too, mate. So it's all fine. It's all good. It's the only thing that I have ever wanted from a career in showbiz, Michael, is uh, free tickets to the football. (laughs) Access to uh, the the football. That's the first thing I always ask any new job I start is to the publicist, do you guys get footy tickets? Whereabouts are they? Yeah, sure, sure. It's the only reason I went back to Channel 7, (laughs) so I could get five years of football tickets. And you just need like a handful of St Kilda members, like prominent St Kilda supporters to pass away, and then you're getting that, that sweet ride to the top. Like, yeah. Yeah, like if Eric Banner can maybe get in a light plane and have a crash or something or 
I was thinking about that. I don't know if Warren is in in India right now, but if Warren is in India right now doing commentating for the IPL, like, if he could just come and, like, you know, get coughed on, like, you go up rank immediately. There's so many... There's so many I rank behind, like Molly Meldrum. I mean, look, I probably won't have to wait long with Molly, but oh, Molly Meldrum would be, hell, mate. Come <laughs> would be at the top of the tree. But there's so many, there are so many like celebrities and field supporters and there's seems to be new ones coming along because I keep an eye on who their social media team are like retweeting and stuff. And there was some girl from Neighbours, I don't, a, a young actress, she's on Neighbours and, and she's a Saints fan. And I'm like, oh, God damn it. Could stay on my game. Yeah, <laughs> gotcha. back on the grind, Michael. And there'd be new ones coming through, and then also I imagine they also try to target um, uh, influencers and stuff like that as well. So if you can, find I don't know. A- they they are they they asked me to take part in a little thank you video to members last year. I saw that. I saw that. Re- yeah, reached. I watched it. I found yeah. it very, very, I found it awesome. It was great. I love it. Yeah. Well. Well. As Matt Stewart put it, it's a bunch of athletes I've never heard of, and you, <laughs> you, you and Peter Hitchner. <laughs> um they they did also uh they also um reached out to me a couple of years ago uh for the in the pre-season and they're putting together their promo video and they said would you mind doing the voiceover for the promo oh yeah i could i could i was like okay yeah so it was sent to me and it was like this kind of you know poetic thing about you know uh uh you know We've been knocked around, you know, but now is the year of the saint and we never give up and with stars are plenty and all that kind of stuff. So I gave it a bit of like, you know, a bit of the old, uh, you know, Russell Crowe doing a bit of like, yeah, sure. uh, G'day, folks. to have lived and have loved to be a poet, but never written a word. <laughs> so I was doing that bit and then I didn't hear anything for a couple of weeks. And so I kept sort of like texting and being like, hey, you know, it's all good. Do you want me to redo it? It's all fine. Nothing, nothing. And then finally I get a call from like a dude that I've never heard spoken to before. He's not the person, you know, who's gave me the ambassadorship or anything. It's like a head honcho. And it's very friendly. Like, hey, g'day, mate, how's it going? And chatting. And, I'm, and I was like, fuck, do I know this guy? And it's like, look, anyway, we'll just cut to the chase. Um, there's been a bit of a mix up with the promo video. And um, we actually got Tex Perkins in uh, to do the voiceover. So we're really sorry about that. You know, we love what you did, but, um, you know, someone got Tex in already. So, you know, apologize. We didn't realize, you know. So I'm like, okay, right, so I've been bumped. <laughs> I got bumped for Tex Perkins. And look, I don't, I don't hold any grudges because Tex Perkins has a great voice. Mm-hmm. But I do like imagining the scenario at Moorabbin where someone's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> either I sent mine in and they're like, yeah, it's not quite what we wanted. It sounds like he's doing Russell Crowe. And then they went and got Tex. Or they genuinely had already approached Tex and then mine came in and they didn't, you know, they were just, uh, they were going to uh, pay the first guy through the door. But I was just like, oh man, like you, you didn't really have to sweat on it that bad. Yeah, I love the idea that um, uh, for a club that has... Not- hey, by the way, can you, can you just straighten up your camera? Because I'm just getting oh. just, I can't see your mouth. Yeah, that's better. Can you sit, can I, you sit like that? Yeah. I love the idea that a club that's been known for not crossing the T's and dotting the I's has somehow managed to fuck up the dude making the uh, voiceover for the ad for the uh, promotional campaign. I think it's very, I think it's very on brand for St Kilda. That's what I enjoy. I just know my I know where I rank. Like so, I rank underneath Tex Perkins at the Saints. It's gonna it would take an extraordinary level of fame to suddenly strike me for for them. I, you know what I am. I am the equivalent of a GOP 
to the to the Saints. I'm a good ordinary player. I'm a role player. I'm a hundred yeah, okay. gamer. Yeah, probably sure, sure. Won't, won't won't make it past 120. Jer- but I'm good for three or four seasons. Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, you're not a, you're not a journeyman. Like you have to go to like three or four clubs for that. But yeah, like you know, someone no. who gives their all for the club and knows that like they've got one yeah. chance and they have to make the most of it. Well, because my ambassadorship ended last year as like a two-year trial or three-year trial oh. or something. And so I just messaged them at the start of the year to say, hey, am I still an ambassador? Totally cool if not, just checking. And they're like, oh, no, absolutely. You know, you, you, you're definitely an ambassador. And so I'm like, okay. So that makes me think I am a role player. They've got their big fish. Like they'll get Eric out for Maddie's match and, and yep, yep. you know, uh, uh, they'll reach out to Molly or, or, or text Perkins when they need a voiceover. But I am probably – you need a bit of backup at your club, don't you? And, <laughs> and what, what, That's why you go to the – What do you get for it? Like like a free membership? Like do you get – because, I mean, obviously you're yeah, not you know, so, going to games every you know second week in Melbourne anymore. So I get um, – they've gifted me like the highest tier membership. Uh-huh. So uh, those grand final tickets will be easy to get. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, and then there was some – I think in the first year that I got invited to a, like a president's luncheon or something like that. Sure, sure. Um, but now it's more of a, just a quid pro quo where they like me to amplify their message. And sure. So you got to put out a few stuff. tweets so and stuff I'll every retweet. now and then, or do a bit of kind of social media stuff. If, you know. No, no one, no one's no. It's kind of an un. It, it's like it's like the mafia. No one, nothing's ever been stated literally, <laughs> Michael. It's just kind of un, un, it's kind of understood. You know, you scratch my back, I scratch yours. Yeah, let me wet my beak a little bit. You capiche? I mean, I'm just wondering, are you a made man? Like, you know, like if you if you say yeah, you're I'm a, a made you, man, if you want to be, what a, are you a wise guy? If you want to be a made man and say you kill Molly in a bar. That you own, like, and you go and, you know, then go have dinner at your mum's house and then, you know, stab the guy in the back of the car. Could you get whacked? Like, if you whacked Molly, could St Kilda whack mm. you? Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There's no loyalty amongst football clubs, is there? <laughs> <laughs> did you watch um, Making Their Mark? I uh, did, yeah. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm trying to think. There weren't St Kilda people in there, were they? And there weren't any Hawthorne people. No. I, I wonder a couple of things no. like would people have been more into it? if? And I, and it wasn't something that came into my brain, brain but somebody brought it up with me. Like would would you be more into it if it was your team? And I, I mean I wasn't fussed by that. Like I kind of enjoyed mm. it all. Yeah, I really enjoyed no. it. No. I think I actually – that allowed me to enjoy it more because I wasn't worried about how – bad it was going to make the Saints look across, because yeah. I I loved it. I thought it was so good. And because I, it's funny, I was thinking about this the other day watching the football. You know, I've been a footy fan my entire life, you know, most of my adult life. But I don't really understand how clubs work. Like I was watching Vision of Training and, you know, coaches talking to players and players that are joking, laughing. And I was like, I actually have no concept of what is happening at the club right now? Like, you know, what the day-to-day is, yeah, yeah. how much of it is kind of like team meetings, how much is training. Like, I don't know any of that stuff. I literally know the bare minimum, which is, you know, game day and then the press conferences around that. But I don't know the inner workings of a club. And so to see that and realise, well, I, my favourite storyline, I think, of the whole bunch was GWS. I thought it was so interesting because Steve Canelio is such an interesting dude. Like, yeah, yeah. So shy and sweet and lovely mm. and clearly overwhelmed by this responsibility. In the very first episode where he brings out that like custom made totem, you know, where yeah, he's yeah, explaining to the players the, about, you know, their preparation. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the and the the past is, and it was like a marble statue because the past is set in stone. You can't change it. And then the middle statue is made out of wood because you can carve it into whatever you want it to be. And then the the first statue, the leading statue, is, is just a transparent because you can. It's a it's a glass, and you can fill it with whatever you want. And he wants to fill it with fucking premierships. Mm. And a whole bunch of dudes who didn't finish year twelve going, I don't understand any of those words in that sentence right now. <laughs> That that's what I thought was so fascinating is that clearly, to me, it seemed like he had been he had gone to some kind of leadership training camp or something like that where he was talking like a motivational speaker or but it was ah, yeah. it felt very corporatey it didn't yeah, yeah. it didn't have that kind of like when you think of AFL captains like a, a, a Tex Walker or a Luke Hodge or something and the way that he would motivate there was the way they would motivate their respective teams. You imagine it's very much that old school fashioned, you know, we're going to fucking get in there. We're going to fucking, you know, you know, we're going to hit them hard from the first second. Yeah. We're going to, you know, smash them up. You know, we're going to do what we do. We're going to like none of that kind of, you know, um, um, Hey guys, we need to really um, think about our chakra right now. Like as we head out on the ground. Well, it is a little bit of that. Like, I understand that like clubs have psychologists, and I think there's even some you know, scenes where they where he's in with the psychologist and stuff. And and there's a lot of that kind of, oh, what did you? It's not what do you call it? It's not corporate talk, but it's like that leading teams kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. key indicators and all that kind of stuff. And so I guess it's just at some point, I just I didn't realize that you know like there are professional sporting outfits, so it is run like a corporation. You know, what? like the even the players. Oh, it's funny that because your coach, uh, Brett Ratton, last week, he uh, was doing his press, co- press conference after they um, after the game, like, you know, eight days ago or whatever, um, and he talked about scoreboard mm. nourishment. And he said we weren't getting oh, yeah, scoreboard nourishment on, you know, and it just meant that we weren't, you know, kicking points and weren't kicking goals. But I like, if, if you rewind to, like, you know, when we were, like, five years old, and even when you're five, like, hear a coach say scoreboard nourishment, everyone would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, it is funny, isn't it? Like, but that he—he he is kind of one of those new agey kind of coaches too. Like his philosophy and his attitude is very much like where Bucks is at now. Where he's got this kind of—it's a holistic approach to coaching, and you know, family comes first, yeah, and yeah. you know, we, we're a footy club, and you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's a really interesting. Because that's the other thing is Leon Cameron seems to be the old school type coach. In he that was very much he's F all that, fucking F this that, and F fucking that. that. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I felt like a real prude watching it because I'm like, Leon, come on, that language, it's hardly appropriate. You don't need to swear all the time. Yeah, no, you're right. And I mean, I think it showed as well, like the, um, not only the way the players get put under pressure very quickly, but also the way the coaches get put, put under pressure very quickly. Like, I mean, it's, it, no, mm. it's, it's a running narrative in the AFL, like, you know, Every five seconds, like there's a new there's a new kicking boy, you know, like oh that person makes yep. eight hundred grand a year, like we need to you know get rid of them, and well there's a coach that has lost you know three games in a row, we need to get rid of them, like that's and it's uh, yeah you're on the hop every time because you don't know when the media's going to turn on you. Yeah, yeah, he just seems though like he didn't get it, Leon Cameron. Like I, I thought he seemed like a dinosaur compared to the other coaches especially Dimmer like I know Dimmer's the best coach going around but the way he talks to his players and stuff I was talking to Alex Williams about it uh, because he's a mad Giants fan and I was saying how you know when that documentary was made both the Giants and the Tigers were going through like pretty terrible season well 
scandals were happening and stuff was happening, you know, different mm. kinds of things. For Richmond, it was more the kebabs at 3 a.m. For GWS, it was more like Cogs is struggling for form and injuries and all that kind of stuff. But to see how Dimmer responded compared to how Leon Cameron responded was like, oh, well, that's why one's a premiership coach, I reckon. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I suppose also there's like a bit of a thing like for all the Melbourne teams that they kind of, they did have to literally, you know, leave home for four months or so. Um, and that would be rough. And, you know, I think initially they were told like we might be going for a few weeks. And then it's like, oh, no, mm-hmm. you're not coming back to Victoria for a long time because, you know, it's obviously in lockdown and curfews and stuff like that. Like, yeah, it's it's funny how it's like a year ago. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the memories of it are kind of like, oh yeah, that happened. <laughs> oh yeah, and then then that happened. Yeah. Th- well, that's the yeah exactly. That's the other crazy thing about that that show is that, I guess the pandemic happened all so quickly. You, you didn't really have time to take in what was going on. Mm. But then, you watch it. It's like oh, it's like a little that first episode or two episodes is like a real. Um, uh, it's kind of uh, like a little update, sort of, wasn't it? Like you know, kind of like. Hey, yeah, there's like this a thing in China timeline. that's happening and you kind of go, okay, that's all fine. And then you go, hey, yeah. this thing's happened in Australia and you go, okay, that's all fine. And then it's like, oh, no, we're shutting down everything from now on. And then there's that scene too where, um, sorry, there's that scene too where the Giants guys, the like three defenders are all on the couch watching as they make the announcement of shutting it down. That's right, yeah. And they have this really like surprisingly in-depth conversation about, well, I guess we... Um, it doesn't matter that we're healthy. We have to we we have to worry about community transmission because it's our grandparents and parents we need to worry about. And I'm like, did some producer just feed you guys a <laughs> handle piece of paper to say make sure you get a scene where the guys clearly state what the uh, dangers and the health risks are? <laughs> this thing <laughs> because it was so articulate and and well spoken. I was like, wait a minute, it doesn't I don't know about. I that. mean, wait a second. We've been told to wash our hands while we're singing Happy Birthday, and if our temperature is over 37.5 degrees, we need to see a doctor immediately. Um, my favorite bit about, well, 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 favorite, that's a strong word, but, um, uh, where I live, uh, and the, when, it, when we all kind of shut down, um, my walk to the supermarket, um, I pass a costume shop and mm. so like, you know, when it all kind of, you know, shut down and it was like, you know, essential shops only. And so every like maybe three days I'd go to the supermarket to get some food and I'd walk yeah. past the costume shop and it was open. And then it kind of became a thing in my own head. Like I would walk past it and just be like, surely, surely we're a month into lockdown. (laughs) Surely today the costume shop is shut. But no, (laughs) the whole time it stayed open the entire time. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Like what is the demand for for Austin Powers costumes and Borat (laughs) mankinis? During a fucking global pandemic, like and and they 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 kept open the entire time. I couldn't believe it. So, what would be the reason for that? Is it, well, it's not an essential service. Who's going to a party? Well, that's the thing. I'm like, who's uh, who? I'm, I mean, I'm like, unless it's like a, like a family who wants to have like a bit of a dress up party. But I'm like, surely. I mean, like, surely it's cheaper to shut the doors. It wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think. I was going to say, well, maybe it's for like TV production. Were they big enough to, you know, if they if they if they do TV? But even then, there wasn't much being shot in the first few months no. of the pandemic. Dude, dude, and I've been in there because I had to buy a thing from there last year, and it's like just genuine, you know, general costume shit. It's like, hmm, do you want to be a sexy nurse for Halloween? And it's like all that kind of shit. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, 
every day. It became a little adventure. Is today the day when they are going to be shut? But no, they're open the entire time. Now, Michael, I'm, I'm very excited uh, to have you on Fofop because um, there's not many people I can talk to about wrestling, and uh, uh, but you are one person they can do. And I need to, I've got some questions for you because I've sort of been dipping in and out of uh, the wrestling lately. Um, I'm not going to say that you gave me your password for your WWE account because that is uh, illegal and wrong. Um, but if you were to have done that and I were to be watching uh, content on the WWE <laughs> network without paying for it, um, I've been getting into a lot of uh, the Broken Skull Diary, Stone Cold's uh, talk show. Okay, yeah. And so have you, have you I, I mean, look, I see what you watch because it is your account. So when I log in, so I know that you've watched quite a few Broken Skull sessions. I watch a bit of stuff. Like I can't say that I'm like an expert on like what's going on right now. Like I kind of keep half an eye on it. Like I watched the, yeah. I think I, I uh, the the WrestleMania was over two nights this year as it was last year, and I think I watched like most mm. of it, but I think I flicked through a bit like, and just watched the stuff that kind of I was really into, um, so I uh, yeah. So, did, so tell me in this in in this latest WrestleMania, did they do more cinematic matches or was it all just in the Thunderdome? It was all in the in the regular um, stadium. So there was one they I think they teased as like a bit of a. Th- cinematic match but it didn't turn out to right. be like that um so oh and was it the jo- was it the john cena uh bray wyatt that was the one last year that they did yeah oh was that last year yeah 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 i oh, do the one where it's like bray wyatt breaks down john cena's entire career yeah 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 man you caught up in covert times mate you've you, you, you've gone mad um yeah so that was last year <laughs> um so they teased like all oh, right i i, I I only just saw that, and I was like, "This is a masterpiece of filmmaking." Yeah, yeah. Like, I is, mean, dude. I mean, Stanley Kubrick would be proud. I of I mean, this. David Fincher, like he was uncredited on that <laughs> on that thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, but they, they teased like a the Bray Wyatt Randy Orton match this year, which kind of turned out to be a bit weird, but not like not a, not a cinematic thing. Actually, it actually happened in this very ring. <laughs> So I can't say I'm an expert. Like it's, I, it's a little bit like Hawthorne at the minute. Like there are a couple of times I see yeah. I see a player and I go, oh, I don't know who that guy is. And so every now and then I flick onto the wrestling and I go, I'm not sure who I, you are. I, I'm very much the same as you. I don't actually dip into a lot of the the new stuff that much. I will sort of like have a look at the headlines, so to speak. Yeah, so, you know, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of aware of who Seth Rollins is and, and, and Becky Lynch and stuff, but I'm, I'm more fascinated by the kind of early era. Like when I was way into wrestling, which is like, you know, the attitude era and then, um, uh, uh, uh ruthless aggression, uh, but the broken skull sessions, there's two things I want to talk about. One is, um, the undertaker, the undertaker's decision, to go on this publicity blitz to his farewell tour, I guess. Yep. And like he's doing everything, you know, he's doing Joe Rogan and his Broken Skull sessions. He's done two of those. You see him on all these kind of like mainstream talk shows and he's just Mark Calloway now. I don't know. He talks a lot about how he weighed up the decision. Oh, you know, I've spent 30 years building this mystique around this character and now, you know, I've got all these stories I want to tell. So I just, just I've decided just to kind of take the mask off and just, you know, be Mark Calloway. Yep. And I'm kind of like, you fucking ruined it. <laughs> you fucking ruined it, dude. Like you had something so amazing. So wait, and are you telling me? Calloway, like, you're telling me, Mark Calloway, <laughs> that you didn't accidentally set fire 
to the funeral home <laughs> that your parents owned and you killed your parents and then also thought you killed your brother. And then, like, years later, your brother shows up and he rips the door <laughs> off the cage and comes in a taxi. Are you telling me, Undertaker, that that was not, not how you remembered it? <laughs> it's not just about that. Like, I, I understand... You know, there's they're going to be making documentaries about him and behind the scenes and stuff. And I wouldn't mind if he did a few like occasional little things as Mark Calloway. You know, mm. just was himself. But he's gone so deep, like he's on everything. He's like he's. I feel like he's overexposed, and he's he's sort of talked. He's explained away everything about like how he found the character or how he chose to do it. I just saw an ad for some new. Um, WWE tie-in show. It's like kind of bargain hunters, but it's they're finding uh, their old they, their old costumes and stuff. Old memorabilia. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's on that, and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I I actually watched about a five minute clip the other day on YouTube of that, and it was like him opening up his own storage unit, and he's like, hey, I'm just finding some old things, yeah. and it's like it's all been planted there, and they all know what you know, like, it, but it's like. I won't believe it. I've never seen this jacket in 25 years. It's like, nah, mate. They put it in, they put it in there <laughs> five minutes before. Like you knew where it was. And yeah, and no, I do, I did find I, I did find that strange. I, 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 we, I am I watched exactly the same clip. <laughs> like I know that I know exactly what you're talking about because he brings out the mask as well yeah, after yeah. he got his uh, eye socket broken and shows that as well. But I. Totally bought it. I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing. He's got that mask from like 25 years ago. I would imagine they would have like a bunch of stuff, you know, in a in a basement somewhere. Um, but I found that to be a bit too much um, contrived. But also as it is with, you know, um, Storage Wars or whatever, it's like, you know, who would have thought that the, the, the you know, Queen Elizabeth II's tiara would be found in the storage unit? Like... Or um, <laughs> oh, what's the other one? The um, the the where, when you go and hawk your stuff, the cash converters one. Um, but American um, porn stars. Yeah, porn, yeah, yeah, yeah. Porn stars? And they walk in and they go, "I have an original copy of the U.S. Constitution." And they go, eh, "We've got to check that out." I don't. I'm gonna give you maybe fifty grand for that. I don't buy it. <laughs> um, I saw uh, another interview on Broken Skulls with Drew McIntyre. Now. Do you know anything about Drew McIntyre? Not a great deal. I think he went there initially and then didn't have much of a run and then came back and got kind of bigger and better. And Yeah. And when I say bigger and better, I so mean... So I only... Uh, bigger. Steroids! <laughs> <laughs> um, he, uh, I didn't really know anything about him either. I just knew him as like, oh, he's the big, angry Scottish guy. Um, and then I was kind of surprised, like you keeping half an eye on it, seeing like he was made like... Was he a universal champ or just heavyweight champ or world champ? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think he. I think he got the title. He's one of the two. Yeah, one of the two. He beat Brock Lesnar yeah. and he's got one of the two big titles. Yeah. And then I was like, that's a bit weird. He seems like a bit of a second stringer to be getting, you know, that right, that kind of push. And then I watched this. By Broken the way, Skull shout out to anyone who's fucking listening right now, like <laughs> anyone who's <laughs> gone through all of this. But also with with with, with, Michael, with the, Gem's Scottish background, like. I imagine Drew McIntyre is like a bit of a Scottish hero. Like they, they, you know, they well, it's you know, funny. give him medals at Parliament and stuff like that, and just be like, you know, what an amazing thing he is—a true icon of Scotland. <laughs> Before his WrestleMania match, he did one of those promos where he went to Scotland, and it's like every Scottish cliche where he's there in his kilt with his own merch T-shirt on, 
and he's like running up like uh, you know Rocky <laughs> Rocky Four. He's like running up snowy mountains and yeah, throwing like gotcha. wooden barrels into a waterfall. And there's an old Scottish Mickey type you know coach is like ah do Drew go do it do it Drew run harder. Sure, sure. And so um, I showed it to Gemma and I was like oh this must make your people so proud. And then we sent it to a another friend of ours who's Scottish who's just like look at this Scotland to a T. And then I'm watching this interview, the Broken Skull Sessions, and that promo, they were scheduled to film it um, uh, the day that they all got called back to America because of the pandemic. So oh, yeah. he was in London about to go to Scotland to shoot this promo. And then the pandemic kicked off and they shut all the borders. And so the WWE said, we're pulling everyone back to, to New York. So he went and woke up the crew and said, they're going to pull us out in seven hours. We're going to shoot this thing no matter what. And so he went out and directed yeah, this no thing way. No at way. like three or four in the morning. But this dude, he's like super driven. He's, yeah, you're right. He was brought over in the mid 2000s as like the next big thing. He's kind of, you know, six foot four and he had long hair and he's kind of good looking. And um, uh, Vince, you know, was convinced like Vince, he was like the, what John Cena ended up becoming. Vince decided you're going to be the guy. It's what Roman Reigns is now. Um, but he, he he started drinking and he just sort of screwed up his opportunity. But then he goes to the indie circuit and he starts doing what like Ric Flair and all those territorial wrestlers used to do in the day where he just tours every indie circuit in the world. Like he came to Australia, he went to like Japan, he went everywhere and became, it's like, I can't remember what it's called, but it's like you're a, you're a champ in multiple different competitions. Like he'd win a title in Australia and then he'd win one in Ireland and then he'd win sure, one, sure. you know, in Japan. And so he'd have all these multiple titles. And so he just went on this indie tear for like six years and just became like a fan favorite. So when the WWE brought him back, he was actually like this indie darling. Oh, okay. And it's, and it's a bit cool in the WWE to kind of cheer for someone that you kind of almost a bit like I knew them before they were famous, you know? Yeah. Like AJ Styles was the same thing. AJ was huge. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, in Japan, gotcha. And he also and so when they brought him I, in. So I imagine it wasn't ten thousand, but he quite unquote got his ten thousand hours up too, and you know was probably a bit raw when he came in. Yeah, and went away and kind of learnt the craft. But do, but do you ever fucking think about like the career of a professional wrestler? <clears throat> I'm fascinated by like just what how someone gets into it. Like it's not really a thing in Australia. Like, I mean, I know we have, like, a, there's a professional wrestling, you know, they, they, but it's not big like it is in the States. And so if you have ambitions of being a pro wrestler in Australia, like, you might as well want to be an astronaut. I know there's, like, one guy, well, there's two girls, what are they called? The the something or others. Oh, the Iconics. The Iconic, yeah. And then there's a guy called Buddy Murphy, and they both came from Australia. Yeah, but well, the Iconics. The shit that they put. Got released. The, the shit they put their their bodies through. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. So I'm trying to think. I think one of them did. I'm tr- I'm pretty certain both of them did. Yeah, yeah. Both of them got released like um just like about two weeks ago. Yeah, like a budget cut thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, and still full credit to the people who are still listening. Like you've done an amazing job. <laughs> I don't care. This is just about talking about wrestling. I don't get to do it with anyone. I don't care if people are listening or not. Um, Michael. but um. I actually did a. It was it was my last night in Melbourne, like before I came back to Sydney after the um, uh, Melbourne International Comedy Festival, uh, and uh, mm. I did a wrestling trivia show, like a live show, um, and it was really fun. Like mm-hmm. they kind of you know play theme music, and you got to guess the theme music and stuff like that. Um, and I was a bit out of my depth. Like there were dudes who you know generally knew their shit, which I didn't know. 
Um, but there was one guy at the end who kind of did a bit of a thing where he he whacked a bloke with um, a uh, two by four wrapped in barbed wire, and for real. Well, I'm not totally sure by the fact like he hit him on the back, you know, like he didn't hurt him, but like, mm. but I felt the barbed wire, and I was like, that actually is like stiff, like. And I was I I I, sh- I didn't get a I chance to ask him afterwards. Like, is that the one you actually use? Because like, and this guy apparently <laughs> does like what they call death matches, where it's like, you know, yeah. they're you know smashing you know f- what fluoro lights over heads and stuff, and you know the whole point is to bleed. Um, and I didn't actually get a chance to talk to him afterwards, but like, it felt like not actually like even real barbed wire, like like almost tougher barbed wire than actual barbed wire. If that makes sense. What you say? What do you mean? Like stronger? Yeah, like yeah, sharper, yeah. Kind of like tougher. You can bend barbed wire, but this was like a barbed wire that you couldn't bend. It was like much more solid. Well, maybe that. Maybe yeah. Because uh, from my understanding, because I'm, I was like, oh, it's, surely it's all fake, so they don't actually hurt each other. But my understanding is, if you're getting hit with a chair, you're getting hit with a chair. If you're getting hit with a bamboo cane, you're getting hit with a bamboo cane. Like they just, the wrestlers just are like they have an agreement that yeah, you're gonna have to hit me with it. Just don't. You know, try don't break my nose or don't take out an break eye. any bones. Yeah. Just... Have you watched Dark Side of the Ring on Vice? I've seen a little bit. I, I know there are some new ones coming out like <sighs> now, but I haven't been able to kind of find them online. There is one episode which is so dark. I can't remember who the wrestler was, but it was this guy, uh, African American wrestler. I think he was came from ECW, but he was like a deathmatch guy. Oh, New Jack? He was like famous for being like. Yeah. New Jack, that's yeah. right. And do, do you know like, the New Jack like, story? He like doesn't he have like he murdered people but got away with it for like self defense? Pretty much. Yeah. Like there's been like they have this like shaky amateur footage of like the ECW matches back in the day in the mid nineties. And there's one where like you know, he throws a guy from the rafters onto like a flaming table and the the guy I can't remember who the wrestler was who he threw, but they're interviewing him. And he was like, He threw me off that but he didn't know that we'd set up the table. Like he threw me fully expecting that he was going to throw me onto the ground. If he threw me like it just so happened that there was a table set up for this guy to land on. But the most full on one was, uh, he was in some, it wasn't like a, like one of the big competitions. It was like an, you know, off, off, off Broadway, uh, death match. And, um, this kid lied about his age. He was only 17, but he said he was like 20 or something. So he could enter in this competition and so he was this really big fat kid. His name was Mass Transit. He came out in like a bus driver's uniform. That was his gimmick. And um, uh, uh, New Jack felt like this kid disrespected him backstage and was like, well, I'm going to just fucking kill this kid. And so it's assault. Like the footage is hard to watch. Like he like uh, he takes a, like, I think it's a pizza cutter across this kid's forehead. Oh, just like three or four just some gashes and like, just beats the shit out of this kid. That kid had to get taken to hospital. <laughs> like it is absolutely horrendous. You can hear the dad to the side saying, he's just a kid. He's just a kid. When there's like, and I was like, I don't understand. So what is this? Like, what is this, this entertainment? Cause it's not, I thought the agreement was the violence was fake yet in some of the versions of it, the violence is real, but not super real. I don't, I don't understand how it works. Yeah, it's not UFC, but it's like mildish, yeah. but at the same time, I wouldn't mind. I don't want a pizza cutter put across my head. And, and also the kind of the logic of like any, any uh, uh, if you want to get across that they're legitimate fighters, the idea that like you go, 
yeah, I'm just going to take the pizza cutter just in case it comes in handy. Like, <laughs> how would that ever pop into your head? Well, it's, I, I guess it, it's more about the performance of violence. What do they say? It's choreographed violence. That's the, that's what wrestling is. But I think I'm more drawn. I'm drawn less to the violence and more to the storylines. <laughs> like, yeah, sure, sure. you know, that's what that's what that John Cena Bray Wyatt thing. When I when I saw it, I only saw it a couple of weeks ago. I was like, I want more of this. I just want more like just weird, like wrestler characters just doing. Like just crazy eccentric fucking short films like this. <laughs> Gemma, Gemma really doesn't want to talk about this stuff with you, does she? <laughs> like you, <laughs> she humors me. That I, I try, I try and tell her things, and she just like I tried to explain what the pipe bomb was, and she totally switched <laughs> off. And it's just hard. I can't find, I can't really find anyone to talk to about this stuff. And you're making me feel self conscious about it. I thought you'd appreciate someone actually talking in level. I heard you get shot down when you had the producer of Making Their Mark on your footy podcast. <laughs> and you said you, the greatest documentary you'd ever seen was Wrestling With Shadows and you were roundly mocked. And I, I sent you a message, a supportive message. I was thinking about that the other day, actually, by the fact there is a, there a doco called Wrestling In Shadows, which follows a guy called Brett the Hitman Hart, who is about to leave the WWE for like over the course of about a year or so. And then by the end of it, and actually made me think about football as well, by the fact that at the end of it, they, they film basically one of the most important events in the history of wrestling by the fact that it kind of went from this is real to a kind of wink wink this is fake and so it was like this major kind of transition but also i find with Mm. with sports docos and and from making the mark this is what happens as well like i find if 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 i was a team that you know we hadn't won a flag for a long time get a documentary crew in because that means you're going to win the flag that yeah. year. Like you're going to win the championship. Like it just happened. There was the Bulldogs, Stocko, <laughs> like, um, and then also making their mark this year. Like, well, last year, and Richmond win the flags. Like the the easiest way to win a championship, just get a Doco crew. Just get like a 15 year old to hold a camera around for a year, and you're going to win the championship because it happens every single time. Like every EPL Doco you wow. see or whatever, it's like, oh, they're going through a tough time. Oh my God, they've won the greatest championship of all time. I, is that true, or is it you just don't see the ones where the team doesn't win because they don't get released? Well, or people could, don't. That have, actually, who cares about losers? That could be a very good question, actually. Yeah, like are there a bunch out there that might be really interesting, but they actually don't win in the end? Um, but the uh, I had a DVD, I had a DVD, DVD of, um, that St Kilda sent out at the end of the two thousand and nine season. That's where we, I think, we only lost two games for the year, but didn't win the grand final, mm-hmm. and. It is two thirds of the greatest DVD you'll ever watch, yeah, like because sure. f- it's just a compilation of highlights of the first sixteen rounds, seventeen rounds, and then it's just like this. They don't even show the grand final. It's like, and then uh, forget it. Don't worry about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Anyway, next year, hey. And then all the players went to Europe and had a very good time. End. <laughs> I mean, dude, that I mean that dude. Uh, um, sorry, that dude. That, that year is brutal. Like, I think, was it like three games and like by 12 points all up or something? Like, I mean, I'm not I'm not wanting to, you know, give you PTS, but that is like, yeah. I think, I think we are one of the un- unluckiest clubs in the history of the competition. Like, you know, we're the last team to play in a draw. Both of the games, those grand finals that we lost were due to the bounce of a ball. Tom Hawkins hit the post. Yeah, yeah. Yet somehow, like... That's fine. So, and then the ARC review comes in after that. So, I don't know. I look, 
we've talked about this a lot on our other podcast, Two Guys, One Cup, but Michael, I've just resigned myself to this is my fate. I, I'm just, it's some strange kind of, uh, it's a curse. I just am cursed to just wander around in the wilderness, just never experiencing happiness when it comes to football. Anyway, guys, it's uh, really nice to be <laughs> Nah. Congratulations for getting this far. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. Well, no, we've probably It'll actually. We, It'll be fine. I faith. I faith. I've got. I've got great faith. So I think it will win one. You don't need to bloody patronise me, you dickhead. I, I don't I do have great faith. care what you have to say. I just. I don't care what Hawthorne supporters have to say because it's not the same experience. You've seen what? How many flags? Eight flags in your lifetime. Uh, it's I, not the same experience. I mean, I, I don't want your sympathy. Yeah, and I can't correct you with the actual number, but it was. Your number that you said How many? was lower. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Are you serious? How many have you seen? Oh, no. You fucking bring this up every time. I don't want to do this How again. Many? How many? Charlie, we've known How each many? other since we were 10. I don't... Hey. <laughs> Charlie, I don't want to break your heart. I don't want to... Nine. Okay. Shut up. You are. Fucking hell. That's not fair. Like, it's not karmically fair. I don't think that you've led any better a life than I have, yet you've experienced joy nine times. I've been a good Catholic boy through that the entire sucks. time. Like, I go to church every Sunday. That um, is... I put 50, do you, $50 do in. Do you still go to church every no, Sunday? No, fuck no. I haven't gone since I was, like, 14. Um, uh, but I put $50 right. in the priest's basket and, um, you know, do good deeds amongst the community. You know, that's that's the life I lead. You know, I'm, I'm a man of, man of God, and I... No, I, I can't keep it up. <laughs> I uh, I can't think. When was the last time you went to church that wasn't for a wedding or a funeral? I reckon um, I reckon I got to about 14 or so, and I think my parents got tired of getting me out of bed to go to church. And, yeah. and then I think I've gone, like, at school, because we went to school together, like, you know, you had to go, like, yeah. every week or whatever, wasn't it? Like, we... Like, I remember, like, they were like, oh, the school is turning 100 years old, and we're going to have a gift, and that gift is that we go to church. It's like, really? That's not a gift. That's that's not a good thing. <laughs> um, and I think I've gone, yeah, weddings, funerals, um, baptisms, um, and I think I've gone maybe, maybe, let's say, twice over the last 10 years to, like, Christmas Eve Mass or Midnight Mass, because Mum wanted me I to. Went I went, yeah, that that doesn't count because that's like Christmas. I, but I went once just out of curiosity. About I think about five, six years ago, mm. I was walking past my local church and they were about to start Mass. I was like, I haven't been to Mass for a while. I'm going to go do this. Mm. And the first thing that struck me was just how old the congregation was. Yeah, for sure, like, for sure. Yeah. I seem to remember it being a bit of a social event when we were kids. Like you'd see other kids your age there and stuff. But this was just all – I was – I was a bloody whippersnapper. The the youngest person there would have been like in their sixties, and also just like how dumb it seemed. It just all seemed so dumb. What is this? It wasn't. There was no sense of like reverence or spirituality. It was just like clumsy and awkward it's like and going dusty through the and dumb. The whole thing just felt, yeah, man, yeah, totally. But no even pizzazz from the priest. Like yeah, they had yeah. no showbiz. Yeah, yeah. I think I've I've been working in in, in entertainment too long. I wanted I want I want him to shuck and jive. Um. But um, no, you're right though. Like it's just like the the same thing, um, and there's no effort put into it. And then also on top of that, like um, um, 
I and I think it'd be the same thing Pedoph- like pedophilia. Well, well, I mean, obviously it's fucking that, yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, um, I I imagine also like the okay, say you're sixty, say your kids thirty five. Um, they've gone through that stuff and they go, we don't want to go to church anymore. And then they've got their kid and they're like, say they're, you know, say they're five. And it's like, well, I, I don't want to take my kid to church because it's like fucking shit, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's no point to it. And then also the massive global um, pedophilic wide ring that they actually ran. Which I'm, I'm not <laughs> even been fucking flipping about that. Like they, they're genuinely a, a, a sex crime organization, you know? So... Why would you fucking hand it's it's any kind of, of crazy when you th- I often think about it like if it turned out that one in every ten McDonald's had a manager that molested the staff, oh, dude, dude. McDonald's would not exist. Dude, dude. <laughs> McDonald's would not exist anymore. Dude. Yet somehow the Catholic Church yeah, yeah. <laughs> gets to stay solvent. And it's like how is that possible? How is it just not an immediate cancellation? Yeah, sure, sure, sure. And like, also, like, if that happened at McDonald's, um, and they and and they go, oh no, no, McDonald's, um, you can still say tax free, like, don't worry about that. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, we're completely fine. Like, we're all fine with it. Like, we won't call for the removal of the CEO or anything like that. Like, nah, just you know, do what you do. Like. Yeah. Oh. Andrew, Andrew Bolt's writing an article defending Big Macs and large fries. <laughs> um, yeah, no. All I I'd mean, say that's, yeah. is that it's your right to eat where you want. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah, absolute nightmare. Speaking of nightmares, this podcast has come to an end. <laughs> so, uh, to anyone who stuck with us through all the wrestling chat, well done. Thanks for keeping up with us. Um, but Michael, uh, thank you for jumping in last minute to do five up. I'd love to get you back on, um, but you've got some shows coming up, don't you? Sick, got some shows at the Sydney Comedy Festival. Uh, if you head to sydneycomedyfest.com.au, got some shows uh, that I did at the Melbourne Comedy Festival uh, at the Factory Theatre in Marrickville here in Sydney. Uh, it's Thursday the 13th of May and Friday the 14th of May at 7pm at the Factory Theatre. So yeah, sydneycomedyfirst.com.au. Uh, all right, we're done. Michael, thanks a lot. I will speak to you next Sweet time. Sweet man, have fun. <laughs>